welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Allison Klein. We're back on Chip Chat Live from the Intel Developer Forum. I'm Allison Klein, and I'm delighted to have Jonathan Donaldson with me. Welcome, Jonathan. Great, glad to be here. Uh, you are working in a very strategic space in the data center for Intel. Can you talk a little bit about your role and, and your background in this technology? Sure, sure. Uh, I'm the general manager for software defined infrastructure uh, in the cloud platforms group uh, in Intel. I always tell people I kind of circled the drain on the data center and I ended up uh, in the center of uh, the universe there for uh, that space uh, prior to Intel, uh, which I've been there about a year, came from VCE, which was the VBlock company, which is the, the joint venture between uh, you know, EMC, VMware, and, and Cisco. Before that, I uh, helped start uh, at NetApp, helped start their FlexPod technology oh, group. Uh, before that, spent 11 years at Cisco, and if you want to go way back, uh, time at Cabletron and end users uh, before that. So I haven't heard Cabletron in a while. That was a good. A long time, yeah. So you can't go anywhere listening to Intel executives and and miss the term software-defined infrastructure. Right. Want to give us a quick definition of what that is and why it's so critical? Sure. If you if you, and other people call it different things, right? So some of the other um, partners out there call it software-defined data center, although we think that that scopes it a little bit too much uh, to a specific location, uh, so we call it software-defined infrastructure. But the general goal for that is, if we look at the incredible sophistication that uh, the large source providers, the tier one source providers run their data centers, their fleet uh, of compute at, uh, the way that they deliver those services, uh, an amazing TCO that they get out of that, uh, they've had to learn some very tough decisions, right? They've had to architect and engineer some very, very interesting solutions to the problem of scale. And what Intel is doing for in our software development infrastructure teams are looking at bringing that sophistication out to the wider masses, right? So when you look at kind of the digital services economy where um, you know, services and applications need to spin up and, and scale on a moment's notice, uh, and development cycles are much more compressed because you need to be first to market. If not first, you need to be first to the new feature. Now, you just can't do that the old way that you delivered IT, right? So everything needs to be highly automated, highly configurable, um, needs to be able to be configured for each workload has to have self-service portals in order for the developers to be able to allocate the resources themselves. And ultimately, we'd like to get it to a point where the infrastructure is, um, is intelligent about the workloads uh, on a dynamic basis and how it places those and moves those and, and treats those and co-locates them with other uh, resources uh, to you know, get that scale effect that we see at you know, the Amazons and the Googles and the Microsofts of the world. You said a lot of salient points in that answer, so let's let's break them down. Sure. Um, you know, important point: some people, the big guys, Amazon's, Google's, are running this type of technology today. What is the difference between what they're doing and how we look at the technical challenge in delivering this to broad-scale enterprise? So probably the largest challenge is there aren't very many enterprises out there that can afford to have you know several hundred PhDs in computer science and neural uh, you know 
uh, neural networks and all of the other specialties that, uh, that Google and others like that have on staff. So part of the biggest challenge is trying to make that type of sophistication consumable mm-hmm. by the enterprise customers uh, and in such a way that they can actually leverage it for their business. So there's a tremendous amount of applications out there in the enterprise today that just they wouldn't work well in that hyperscale, web scale, horizontal, node fault tolerant model uh, that you typically get uh, in one of the large cloud service providers, right? There's typically no kind of concept of, it's the whole pets and cattle kind of uh, concept, and I guess for the listeners, I'll explain what that is. <laughs> you know, uh, an application in the pets world is, you know, it's something you name, right? It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, Oracle uh, 11 box dot, you know, mycompany.com, right? And I keep it healthy and uh, I want to keep it alive. And if it starts to degrade or bad things happen to it, much like a pet, I nurse it back to health. And, you know, I'm not happy and nobody else is happy until that is, you know, fully functioning again. Whereas the, you know, kind of the newer uh, style of deployment and development of applications where you break your application up into, um, stateless, almost uh, application pieces, and you tie those services together uh, into your your larger application. Any one node can fail, and the application is still healthy, right? It's mm-hmm. a cattle. So if you know if a, if a cow in your herd gets sick, and you're a cattle rancher, you shoot the cattle, and you get another one, right? They're numbered. They're not individually important. It's not Bessie, right? It's not Bessie, right? Now, when you when you take a look at that. What is it going to take to get all of these broad, broad scale apps prepared for this environment? Or is it really a function of enterprises starting to use a different type of class of apps to deliver their, their so capabilities? So it's, it's a little bit of both. I, I think that we would be naive to sit here and think that, oh, we're going to go change the world tomorrow and we're going to get everyone to rewrite all of their applications, right? The things that they've run their business on for a decade, right? That's just not going to happen. There's a lot of people in the community um, that think that that's what they should have to do. This should be a forcing function, and therefore we should force them to go drive into the new world, um, the new style of development. They have no choice, right? Uh, but we actually think that it's, uh, it's much more nuanced than that, right? We think that there's uh, going to be a, a kind of a long tail on the current applications, much like we saw with mainframes in the past, right? There are still mainframes around today because you know, it's almost one of those, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Right. If it's something that is just going to sit there and putter along in the corner, but it's still going to deliver value to you, that's fine. You don't have to convert that. Mm-hmm. Right. But what we will see is that almost all new applications that are built and created will be developed and created in the new style. So over time, the legacy applications or the applications that aren't kind of that new node fault tolerant, web scale, uh, cloud aware type applications, they'll start to die out over time, right? They'll start to be replaced with the newer versions of them. But they just have to over time. Now, you talked about making the infrastructure intelligent enough uh, to be interacting with all of these data services and ensuring that the services are running on, on the right infrastructure. Now, some developers talk about, you know, the platform is dead, you know, the hardware is irrelevant. We have a very different view on that. Do you want to share that? Sure. Um, and, and for them, uh, we, we would like it to be that they don't have to think about uh, how to connect with the platform. But the, the platform itself does have a tremendous amount of value. And what it is, is making sure that the, the specific features that we bake into the silicon 
that provides you know accelerators and uh, different uh, intellectual property and different uh, types of features to those developers that they can consume them without even having to think about it. So, give you some examples. So, if I'm a developer running an application that has to take credit card data, for example, there are certain PCI uh, standards that I have to keep up with, and mm -hmm. one of those standards is that I need to encrypt my data, right? So, if I'm creating a database of uh, my clients and they have some sort of payment information with me, I need to make sure that that data is encrypted when it sits uh, in the database. So I can do one of two things. I can just write my application and you know, cross my fingers and hope for the best, and that <laughs> works, right? Um, or I can actually go specifically look to write to, let's say, the AESNI libraries, which is the advanced encryption accelerators that we have on the Xeon chips. Well, when I go and I actually write to the new, uh, to that feature, I get about 4x better performance. So as a developer or somebody providing one of these digital services, what does that mean to me? It means that um, I essentially have, I can run on you know, one quarter the number of instances uh, for the same number of customer load that I would have to if I didn't pay attention to that. So if my cost to deliver a service uh, can be reduced by 75%, I think I would, that would show some value to me because then I can just, you know, that could be my margin dollars. And so what we are going to do is, um, it's difficult to get uh, with everything that the developers have to be aware of today, and with the rise of scripted languages as opposed to compiled languages, because you know, with enhanced compilers like ICC, you could always make sure that whenever an encryption call happened in their, in their application, that it, it chose the right path uh, for the accelerators. With the scripted languages, they, they're not always going to know um, unless they're intimate with our silicon and the features, they're not going to know what libraries to pull in for that application to go enable that feature. So one of the things that we think that we need to go do in that community is to make sure that um, whether they know they're going to use it or not, make sure it's available and make sure that it is by default what is selected when they create their application. So it's built into the, the scripted right. language rather go, than at the app. Right. We want to make sure that it's built in. Uh, into the IDEs and the scripted languages and all of the different areas that the developers use on a daily basis, but don't always necessarily have to understand the nuts and bolts underneath it. So when we talk to um, IT operators, and they're talking about what they're running in their data centers today, right. a lot of folks say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm running data center services, but when you start peeling back and you start thinking about how they're uh, driving those services, um, it's looking a lot like virtualization and, and the process right. is manual. Can you talk a little bit about where you see the evolution path of someone who's getting you know, their enterprise ready for true data center services and, and what are the key characteristics? Right, so one of the, obviously one of the big key characteristics we see between what, you, what we would consider virtualization and what we would consider you know, full private cloud is that self-service portal. Um, if you still have humans um, in between the people requesting the resources and the allocation of those resources, then you're not doing private cloud, right? I mean, the, the you know, Amazon with AWS, uh, Microsoft with Azure, uh, other tier two CSPs out there, uh, Google with GCE have shown us that you know, given the opportunity, uh, developers love to have access to the resources to sandbox their environments, to develop, to deploy. Uh, we need the same type of thing happening in the rest of the provider space as well as the enterprise. So a key characteristic is that self-service portal 
uh, capability. Um, other key characteristics are things that we need to go uh, see happen in, in the enterprise space and differentiating it from, um, you know, from just the virtualization uh, have to do with the fact that in order to truly get down that end of the spectrum towards you know, software-defined infrastructure, you also need to start having software-defined storage and networking, things that can be configured and changed and reconfigured from general purpose platforms as the need arises. Because if you're in a environment that has siloed storage and siloed network and siloed compute resources, then you truly can't scale um, all the different vectors that you need in order to be successful and agile enough uh, to be competitive moving forward. So in terms of the time from the actual self-service portal requests being made right. and the service up and running, what type of time frames are, is our end goal for the enterprise? So it should be less than minutes, right? It should mm -hmm. be in the seconds realm, depending upon how complex, obviously, the environment that the developer is, is asking us to set up or is asking IT to set up. And it just varies, right? So. Uh, you know, a great goal for uh, virtual machine-based uh, environments are, you know, in the minutes time frames. Um, if I'm doing things like containers, right, mm -hmm. which spin up and spin down incredibly quickly, then seconds um, is much more likely to be your, your kind of benchmark time frame. Now, you talked about a couple of hardware infrastructure innovations within the storage and networking arena. Um, can you tell us about what Intel is doing in those spaces and why that's so critical? Yeah, so one of the first things that we're doing is we're going through uh, different projects like Ceph and different projects like OVS, which is the, uh, the virtual switch, and making sure that they're tuned well to sit on top of Intel Silicon mm -hmm. so that our customers uh, that have already bought Intel Silicon or that will buy it in the future get the benefit out of that purchase. So we're going in... Um, OVS and, and embedding uh, DPDK, which is the you know the data plane developer toolkit, which is essentially acceleration uh, for that virtual switching function uh, using uh, some features in the Intel Silicon, so that they get you know a lot of the uh, the same features and capabilities they would have had in and you know normally an ASIC based switch, um, they can get that on general purpose uh, Intel Silicon platforms. Things like Ceph or Swift, right, which are some of the emerging software-defined storage uh, engines out there, we're going and making sure that we're enabling um, things like AVX, right, which helps them calculate their hashes uh, for their objects better. Uh, we've been doing a lot of stuff in the community for Swift on uh, storage policies, mm -hmm. right? Um, we've put erasure code in there, which is to me, absolutely the worst named storage feature you could possibly find, but it's an industry one, so we'll go with it. It's not a, a techno band from the 80s, yeah, it's no, an actual no, technology? Right. So I always told him, I said, the worst thing you want to do is with a storage person is talk about erasure of anything, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, But it essentially allows you to do some, almost like software raid, if you will, um, at the scale um, that we're talking about for these kind of software engines. So reduce the number of replicas of a of a, a file or an object right. that you need to have out there, but still gain all the benefits from you know the redundancy and the reliability, that type of thing. So a lot of what we've been doing is, is that kind of enabling. We've also been doing a lot of feature exposure, which means that as you start to layer on all the different layers of software-defined networking and storage and the hypervisors for compute and then the orchestration engines and then the PaaS layers, right? So there's a lot of layers between the developer and the silicon. So we've done a, 
uh, a lot of effort to bridge the gap, right, between you know uh, the developer and the silicon, right. So bring the the developers closer uh, to the silicon for those features, and so enhance platform awareness and things like that, where we start to make each of those layers as well as the scheduling engines and ultimately the developer through the portal aware of the capabilities that they can select for uh, when they write their applications and deploy them. So when you take a look at the orchestration layer itself and you brought it up, I see a OpenStack sticker on your uh, laptop over there. Among, among many. A yep. Among a lot. That is very true. I see Ceph as well and some others. Um, when you take a look at that, what is Intel's role in ensuring that all of that technology goodness comes up into the orchestration layer and that applications are actually flowing into the right infrastructure? Great question, because that's actually the place where we are placing a lot of our emphasis. So we're spinning up some projects to create advanced telemetry out of the silicon. Um, there is a tremendous wealth of information uh, that we have in the CPU as well as the rest of the, the silicon pieces that Intel provides in a data center that, if exported properly, uh, can be used to drive decisions, uh, can be used to drive much more intelligent decisions um, in the data center space around you know, uh, workload placement and you know, we've probably uh, talked uh, to some of the team about uh, so, uh, Service Assurance Manager, which allows you to you know, figure out is my neighbor VM being noisy and, and hogging up too many resources, and if so, how can I move things around to fix that problem? Uh, there's power and thermal, uh, you know, getting an idea of, hey, what does this workload really cost me to run? And, you know, are there ways for me able, maybe to be able to move things around so I can balance out uh, the heat signature and the cooling factors in my data center? Um, we're working with some of the forward-leaning scheduling engines that are out there, things like Mesosphere, which is based upon the, the Mesos project from um, the, uh, the, in the Apache uh, license realm. Uh, there's also Kubernetes, which is uh, uh, a version of Google Omega, which is Google's you know almost self-aware scheduling engine that they have uh, that they've put out into the public. So we've been working with uh, with that. Also, and so our main goal on those is give them a lot more information uh, that they can use to base their uh, their placement decisions and their movement decisions on. And we think that we bring a unique capability to that area with all of the data that we can actually pull out of the silicon for what's really, really happening uh, on each of the nodes. An incredible amount of innovation that you're targeting across a number of different areas. One question that I have is, are enterprises able to use these technologies today, and at what level? Have we seen companies actually start deploying this stuff in production environments? Yeah, so uh, companies that are, so typically the ones that you'll see doing this first are kind of, you know, the new enterprise, if you'll call them that. So some of the SaaS players, right? So obviously, think companies like Twitter and Netflix and Facebook and the ones that are, you know, their business um, and their their strategic value relies on them being first to market, fast to market, um, feature velocity, um, those types of things. Uh, they invest heavily in having the people that it takes to actually go deploy these types of environments. For the the normal enterprise, that's you know that's not their core line of business. Um, it'll take a little bit longer, and we've got to go do a bunch of work here at Intel. Uh, as well as in the community out there to make those types of things easier to consume um, in, in those enterprise spaces. 
Um, you mentioned OpenStack, right? OpenStack is one of those. I mentioned a couple of the other ones. We've been uh, very encouraged. Um, so VMware and uh, Red Hat, two of our really good partners, both um, are part of OpenStack, you know, uh, VMware most recently. Uh, we think OpenStack is a great first step in that automation and orchestration area for the data center. And now that you have kind of your choice of hypervisors and your choice of how you go create that, um, with all of those companies providing a lot of value into the, the common parts, um, we think is going to really, really accelerate that consumability and that adoption cycle and the, the standard enterprise customers. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little while, but um, we, we see some really good first movements. Well, Jonathan, I learned a lot from this conversation. Thank you for taking the time oh, today. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, Final question for you. I'm sure that a lot of folks who are listening online are interested in learning more from you. Where can they connect with you? Wow. Uh, the best way is just to send me an email. So Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N dot Donaldson, D-O-N-A-L-D-S-O-N at intel.com. I'm happy to, to answer any questions on this. Um, if they're a, a current, uh, you can also uh, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at J Donalds, J D O N A L D S. It's a throwback from my uh, from my Unix, uh, you know, ID days uh, there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Just search for me, you know, slash Jonathan Donaldson. Uh, happy to have any conversations with customers. If you are a customer and you have um, a relationship through your normal account teams. Um, they can contact us through there. We're, we, we're talking to all of them, so they know who we are. Uh, but we, we, we welcome uh, questions and, and constructive uh, feedback as well as new ideas. Thank you so much for being on, and, and uh, enjoy your week at IDF. Oh, thank you. Visit ChipChat online at intel.com slash chipchat. And for more information on data center technologies, visit intel.com slash bigdata, intel.com slash cloud, and intel.com slash data center optimization.